following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Open your Bibles to the book of James, if you would. What would you ask for if the Lord gave you a blank check? What would you ask for? If you could have anything you wanted, just fill in your desire. But you get one thing, it comes from God, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be forever. One thing, what would it be? Great lunchtime discussion. If you're a citizen of this world, you probably ask for money, or possessions, or health, or pleasure, or fame, or ease. If you're a citizen of heaven, it really starts to get complicated. A little bit, a little more difficult. The prospects are more serious. You're, you're definitely not going to ask for world peace because you don't want to sound like a Miss Universe contestant, right? So you're just not going to do that. Uh, maybe you'd ask for that certain family member to come to know Christ. Or maybe you're going to live in a lot of pain and you'd say, you know, I'd like to be finished with that agony. Or maybe you just want a healthy family or a better marriage or a better job. When King Solomon was asked and offered by God for a blank check, you know what he asked for. You know what he prayed for. Overwhelmed by the thought of having to shepherd and lead and guide a nation, the nation of Israel, God's people, Solomon prayed in 2 Chronicles 1.10, give me now what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Giving now what? Wisdom and knowledge to rule this great people of yours. In essence, Solomon is saying, I'm overwhelmed, Lord. There's no way that I can rule your nation unless I have your wisdom. This is what I ask for, this and nothing more. I need wisdom. Wisdom for the Greek was about speculative knowledge and philosophy back in the first century. And wisdom for the Romans was about gaining knowledge, just education. That was their answer. But wisdom for the Hebrew, and now wisdom for the believer, the Christian, is different. It's greater. It's better. Wisdom for the believer is skillfully applying biblical knowledge in everyday practical life. Wisdom is basically living practically directed by the Word of God. To be wise, you're, you're living according to the Word of God in every practical situation and scenario. There are some people who think that being spiritual is super impractical. You know, sell your car and just ride your bicycle all the time. Or in our culture, burn all your clothes and just wear a burlap sack. You know, the, the impracticalness. They think that that means spiritual. But for the Jewish nation and New Testament believers, that would be us, true wisdom, true spirituality is not merely intellectual, it's behavioral. It's behavioral. That's what sets wisdom apart from our world and even our culture. Our culture would be more education or knowledge, but a, a Christian would be more, this is lived out. It's not just spoken about. It's manifested in lifestyle. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, 
there are over 300 references to wisdom, a hundred of them alone in the book of Proverbs. This is something that is saturated in Scripture because every genuine believer desires and wants to live wise. We don't want to live foolishly. Can I hear an amen to that? Well, the opposite would be then wisdom, God's wisdom. But the Scriptures actually give us the warning this this morning in particular that there are two kinds of wisdom. There's human wisdom and there's divine wisdom. There's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. There's wisdom from below and there's wisdom from above. And that's where we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 3. The heavenly wisdom that comes from God and then there's man-made wisdom that comes from this earth and both are in James chapter 3. If you're not there already, please turn your Bibles there because he's going to call us to pursue God's wisdom and reject man's wisdom. So it's twofold. It's not just pursuing God's wisdom, but it's also rejecting man's wisdom. Saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to pursue that because that's the way men think. That's not what God thinks. So if you're not there already, please get there. James 3, 13 through 18. We're going to study the first half, verses 13 through 16, about man's wisdom today with a little bit of God's wisdom. And then the second half, verses 17 to 18 on God's wisdom next time. Six short verses point two clear pictures. It's a portrait of those who pursue the wisdom of earth, and there's those who pursue the wisdom from God. That's simple. And James knows that living by God's wisdom first will require salvation. And James knows that because James lived with the incarnate wisdom. He walked to school with wisdom. He had meals with wisdom. He dialogued with wisdom. They played together with absolute incarnate wisdom, and he didn't get it. Can you imagine that? He didn't get it until the Lord rose from the dead and visited him, and then he recognized that my half-brother is actually God incarnate. And that's the source of all wisdom. But he, even he didn't get it until he was what? Saved. He had to be born again in order to understand that. And all who are born again will begin to understand what wisdom is. But you'll not see it until you actually change direction, which would be repentance, away from sin and towards God, and that you change dependence, which would be faith and reliance upon Jesus Christ. And that only occurs when God works in your heart to accomplish those two things. Until you're genuinely saved, you will view God's word, God's will, God's ways, and God's wisdom as foolish. You need to understand that man's wisdom comes from reason. God's wisdom comes from revelation. Now, we're not talking about the end time revelation. We're talking about God revealing himself, the revealing of his word. Revelation, God's word. And all who are born again to grow in wisdom will only be achieved when you, first of all, are saved, obviously born again, the intense study of God's revelation, Scripture, and then striving to be dependent upon the Spirit of God and living according to the Word of God through prayer, and then seeking to be obedient to Christ through His Word in all things. That's the growing part of wisdom in your life. And in this letter, James continues to describe the tests of faith. What he's trying to help you determine is, are you truly born again? 
So he says, well, well, how do you respond to trials? Enjoy? And are you blaming others for sin? Or are you taking responsibility for it? And are you doing God's words? And are you treating others impartially? Are you guarding your speech? Because when you compare those things, you begin to understand the real from the phony. Well, now he's going to give you another test. He's going to give you the test of wisdom. Now understand, the kind of wisdom a person possesses is revealed by the type of life they live. You might want to write that down. The kind of wisdom a person possesses is revealed by the type of life they live. You know by their lifestyle whether they're pursuing God's wisdom or man's wisdom. It becomes very obvious. In fact, verses 14 to 16 show those who live by the wisdom of man are giving evidence that they have no salvation in Christ. On the other hand, verses 17 to 18 will show those who are of genuinely saving faith will live by the wisdom of God and give evidence of genuine salvation. So you're going to see that as you read aloud with me verses 13 through 18. Let's read it together and then we'll begin to unpack these particular verses. Let's do it together. Ready? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from down from above, but is earthly and natural and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is he talking about here? Well, take a look at the chart that Chuck Swindoll crafted to help you understand these verses. On the left are the signs of wisdom, and then the characteristics of each kind of wisdom, and then finally the results of each wisdom. Look at the left-hand side there. James is trying to basically help you identify... Am I living by God's wisdom or am I living by man's wisdom? Am I really God's wise man or woman or am I just a wise guy, right? So the kind of wisdom a person possesses will be revealed by the type of life that they live. So he starts with, as he begins, the test of true wisdom. Point number one, the test of true wisdom. Verse 13 is a test. Look at it. Look what he says. Who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now he kicks off a question, who among you is wise and understanding? He's not really looking for a show of hands, right? He's really not doing that. Uh, It's hard to find a self-professed fool. Typically your friends and yourself don't walk around going, I'm a fool, right? That's not normal. Uh, and most people have an unrealistic high opinion of their wisdom. They, they believe, and you believe, that I'm just as savvy as the next guy, and that my opinion is usually a little bit better than someone else's opinion. So we think of ourselves as wise and understanding. Most of you think of yourselves in that manner. There is a little bit of difference between these two terms, though, wise and understanding. Wise actually is a general term referring to the careful application of knowledge to personal living. It's the practical expression of our knowledge. Understanding appears only here in the New Testament, and it describes a specialized knowledge, um, like a highly skilled tradesman. So James is asking here, who wants to live godly and have special skills? 
right? And who's going to answer that? No, not me. You know, right? I mean, remember the game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Remember that? That's a dumb question. Who wants that? Of course you want to be a millionaire. Come on, come on. Would you admit it, please? Of course you do. I mean, I mean I'd like 20 million right now. I want 15 to finish the property, get that you know, children's wing done, da-da-da. I give a million each to my kids, and then I want three million so I can die in a nice old folks' home, right? Okay? And maybe if I go overseas, I'd like one of those sleeper compartments. That's really, I, I'd really like to, you know, don't you walk by that in the airline and go, man, I wish I had that seat. You know what I mean? Instead of being crammed in the back where they put you in a little tiny box, you know, that kind of thing. So, that's just me. But James is saying, uh, yeah, I want to be wise and I want to have skills. But here's the question. If you have God's wisdom, it will show in your behavior. It'll show in your behavior. Every married couple argues. But wisdom will show in how you argue, how you argue, how you disagree. Every student struggles with their emotions, but how you deal with your emotions will show your wisdom. Every Christian battles with fear, but how you respond to your fears will demonstrate whether you live by God's wisdom or man's wisdom. Are you getting it? It's how it's demonstrated. The kind of wisdom a person possesses will be revealed by the type of life that they live. So when James asks, you think you're wise in understanding, the answer reveals not only your inner character, but really your level of maturity as a, as a Christian and where your heart's at. Those who think they're wise, James clearly asks, we'll see about that. That's what he says right here in verse 13. Look at the problem. Look at the, what he says in verse 13. He says, true wisdom's going to show itself. The verb there, let him show by his good behavior is a command. Let him show it, command you. In fact, it's the main command in this passage. So it's the main emphasis here in this particular passage, this little paragraph. Let him show it. That's what he's saying. Prove it. Let him show it. It's emphatic. Show how you live. Explain it by your behavior. Prove it through your lifestyle. If you're really wise, you're going to show it in how you live. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ, who not only taught wisdom, but he lived it, right? In everything he did. Do you see the two ways that James says heavenly wisdom is shown or proven? Well, look at verse 13. Look at it. It says, by your good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, first, good behavior. Wisdom is basically demonstrated by your behavior. Just like faith without works is dead, then godly wisdom, is, if it doesn't have a changed lifestyle, is not godly, it's phony. There's going to be a change, and the life of a wise person exhibits a life seeking to obey God's word in your priorities, in your identity, in your desire to do things God's way, not your way. Listen, are you a teacher, or are you a Christian who seeks to represent Christ in the classroom? Are you a salesman, or are you an evangelist who sells to tell? Are you a policeman? Upholding civic law, or are you a witness of the one who lives by God's law? Neither IQ nor education make a person wise. What does make a person wise is how well his or her lifestyle reflects the truth. Good behavior, that's what he's talking about. Secondly, gentle deeds. Gentle deeds, that's living out wisdom, inspired humility, and meekness. Now, our society basically puts down meekness as weakness, right? Gentle there is synonymous with meekness. 
And the Greek term gentle there is actually means, you want to write this down, power under control. Power, that actual word gentle, you may not realize this, is used to describe a broken horse. A horse that was wild and powerful and out of control and was broken, it still has its strength, it still has its power, but it just manifests that now under control. Does that make sense? So what you're seeing in gentleness is this sense of I'm manifesting you know, great strength in Christ, but under control. I don't lose control. He's addressing that particular, a disciplined strength. So gently and gentle people only care about what God thinks, what God wants, and they hold that conviction regardless of others. And Galatians 5 tells us that gentle is one of the fruits of the Spirit, which means you can't work this up on your own. It's got to be that you're saved, and it's got to be that you're manifesting uh, being filled with the Spirit. You can't do this on your own. Pointing again to the kind of wisdom a person possesses will be revealed in the type of life they live. There will be a gentleness in how you apply God's word. This is really convicting to a lot of dads in the room. I know uh, myself as well. It's just sometimes we're sharp, we're harsh, and wisdom would say, I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm going to do so with gentleness. Gentleness. I'm going to talk to my wife or my husband, but I'm going to do so with gentleness. It's strength under control, conviction under control. The test of biblical wisdom is that it changes your lifestyle. That's he's saying, show it, prove it. And so verse 13, he clearly says, he's talking about deeds. It's going to be manifested in behavior. It's action. It's controlled strength. Gentleness won't keep you from struggles. It'll just change the way you deal with struggles. Uh, gentleness and wisdom won't keep you from disagreements it'll just show you a better way to deal with disagreements are you getting it you're not going to avoid sin on planet earth but you're going to know how to navigate this through wisdom even leadership you're looking for leaders in your ministry or leaders you know in your you know your your place of work or whatever it's really not defined by a college degree you know that Uh, you know that it's really defined by a life worth emulating a life worth emulating As you look for future leaders, even in your ministry, James says, look for evidences of biblical wisdom and the way they live their everyday life. That's the test of wisdom. It needs to be shown in behavior. It's manifested. He's defining wisdom for us, and that's the test. Well, then that wants to contrast that now, number two in your outline, to the taint of false wisdom. The taint of false wisdom. Wisdom that is of the world is basically based on man's thinking, man's standards. False wisdom in that, man is supreme. And false wisdom, you don't recognize God's sovereignty, not God's will, not God's word. False wisdom is filled with your thoughts, your ideas, your emotions, your reactions, that kind of thing. And James is now contrasting heavenly wisdom of verse 13 with now earthly wisdom in verse 14 through 16. And he lists the indicators of an unwise person. So he breaks it down, showing verse 14, the motivation of false wisdom. And then he talks about, verse 15, the qualities of false wisdom. And then verse 16, the results of false wisdom. So he's going to give you the whole picture of false wisdom. So first in your outline, the core of false wisdom. The core. He's going to basically, are you ready? Talk about your heart. Right? Christianity is first and foremost a matter of the heart. It is. So he's looking at the core. That's when you take the core. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your what? Your heart. 
So he's talking about your heart here, and he's basically describing the center of your motivation. The Bible talks a lot about our heart. Uh, we're to be slow, not to be slow in heart to believe. We're, we're, we're to believe with all our heart. Uh, we're to be aware that out of the heart comes evil thoughts and worse, and Solomon warns then watch over your heart because it's the core and central of your spiritual life. You may look really good this morning, but if your heart's not right, you're not right. You're not right. It's where your heart's at. And James right now here is x-raying your heart. He's trying to get into the heart. And, and of the many sinful motives that are found in your heart and in my heart, he highlights two of them. Look at them, verse 14. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. You say, what are those? I'm so glad you asked. Bitter is the Greek word pikros. And it, it really means what it sounds there. It, it really means picky. Picky. Uh, better and bitter here is the basic meaning of pointed, sharp, and prickly. So he uses bitter to describe the worst form of jealousy, which is harsh and cutting and destructive, having no concern for the feeling and welfare of others, especially of specific people. So he's trying to describe bitter jealousy here. And that refers to jealousy that harbors hard feelings. I know we all identify with that. Hopefully we don't live that way. But someone's belonging, someone's look, someone's talent, someone's accomplishments threaten you, so you what? You bite. You pick at them. You find something that's wrong with them, right? Come on, anybody want to nod your head just a little? Yeah, we, we, and we attack them. We pick, 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 pick. That's bitter jealousy. And those who are engulfed in worldly wisdom despise anyone and anything that stands in your way between them and your objective. And that's why the second one is selfish ambition. You see it there? Selfish ambition, verse 14. The heart of the unwise person carries an insatiable hunger to push themselves to the top. They're concerned, are you ready? If you're worldly wisdom, you're concerned about now, not eternity. That's the focus. You're concerned about control not God's sovereign control over you. You're concerned about justice and what I deserve and what's fair versus patient mercy towards others. Selfish ambition translates a single Greek word and it means the personification of personal gratification and self-fulfillment at any cost. Selfish ambition really has no room for others. You know, you know this is indicative of our age. He's talking about today. The, the number one issue today is self-promotion. One more time self-promotion that is the mantra of our society which is the antithesis of the humble selfless giving loving obedient child of god who's called to be you know basically with god's wisdom even in the christian world you go to enough conferences and visit enough academic institutions meet enough leaders you're going to find far too many so-called christ followers jockeying for higher positions and a greater audience all in the name of reaching people have you seen that? It's easy to go on an ego trip under the guise of spiritual zeal. Remember the Pharisees? What were they concerned about? The praise of men. Well, even the apostles were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Are you with me on this? Come on. We're all in this to some degree. And the wisdom of the world says promote yourself. Be famous. If you can't be famous, be infamous. Right? Do whatever. Any advertising is good advertising. That's the mantra of today. The wheel that squeaks the loudest gets the grease. True believers should be jealous and envious for the things of God. 
But be certain that your heart motives are pure because the wisdom of this world exalts men and robs God of his glory. And those whose lives are motivated by human wisdom will be inevitably self-centered. It'll be about myself. Living in a world where your own personal ideas, your desires, your standards are the standard to live by, not God's word. And what does God's word say? Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as what? More important than yourselves. So after the core of exposing the false wisdom, that false heart, then secondly, the characteristics of false wisdom. He describes the characteristics. And he says, if your heart generates bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then from the expression of those qualities, there'll be five definite characteristics that identify counterfeit wisdom this is going to expose who's saved and who's not he's trying to show this he's trying to highlight false wisdom from basically true wisdom he's trying to say this is the wisdom from the flesh not the spirit and if these things continue in your life if they're ongoing in your life if you're known for these qualities then it is a strong indicator that you would not be saved that you would be unconverted so what are they well look at verse 14 in the middle through verse 15 he says do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth this wisdom is not that which comes down from above but is earthly natural demonic this is not wisdom from God's revelation from above this is wisdom from man's reason man's reasoning okay it's very horizontal it's very earthly and fleshly and when you live by man's wisdom this is the result number one is arrogant you become arrogant. The Greek word arrogant means to exalt over others. Exalt over others. And wisdom motivated by arrogance is where that self-interest leads to a society that says, do your own thing. Have it your way. Look out for number one. When arrogance is the normal attitude of a person, it demonstrates the absence of a saving relationship to God and professing Christian known for boasting a professing Christian known for self-centeredness, a professing Christian known for arrogance is a fraud. It's a fraud if you're known for that. Pride loves to boast. And there's nothing more boastful than the wisdom of men. And the wisdom of men is the evolutionist who boasts in his so-called science. Uh, Earthly wisdom is the feminist who boasts of her so-called liberation from God's design. Uh... Earthly wisdom is, is the husband and the father who says, do what I say, I'm the man, instead of saying, let's do what Christ wants. Beware of arrogant boasting. You say, well, what should we boast about? Well, take a look at Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It says, the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he what? understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on earth for I delight in these things that you would know him God's wisdom manifests itself in a life of the born again believer in humility an actual submission to God's simple word so that God alone gets the glory God's wisdom doesn't compare themselves with others but only to Christ you know why we compare ourselves to Christ we find out two things how far we fall short and how far we have to go. You start comparing yourself to other people, you're going to find yourself, hey, not bad, not bad, you know, pretty good, pretty well, you know, I got a world of work to do to catch up to Levis, but oh, you know, I'm doing okay. That kind of stuff. 
when you compare yourself to Christ, we all in this room go, I've got a lot of growing to do. Amen? Amen. That's where we're at. Well, it also leads to deceit. Look what he says in verse 14 at the end there, lying against the truth. Now, despite what modern theologians say, truth remains an immovable, immovable standard. In fact, forget postmodern concepts of relative truth or the uncertainty of truth. Listen, God's revealed truth addresses the things the way they really are. That's why Christians love the truth of God's Word, because it's the lens that looks at this world the way it really is. We see things not through fantasy, but reality. And God's revealed truth addresses the things that are very, very accurate. And the unwise, however, what they do is they change their truth standard to match their desired lifestyle. Let me help you understand something. If you don't understand this, get it down today. And that is this. Almost all errant doctrine is merely to cover an errant lifestyle. The reason why you have errant doctrine is so you can live a certain way, sin a certain way. That's why it's errant. That's why it's done. So understand, human wisdom makes up its own version of truth. It makes up its own version of the way of salvation, an errant way of salvation. They call themselves a Christian, but their gospel is a self-deception. It is living by faith, but a faith that never has to work, never has to change, never has to grow, never does anything. Now, at the very beginning of James, he gives us a clue what he's talking about here when it says lying against the truth here. So at the beginning of James, he actually talks about salvation as in 118, bringing us forth by the word of truth. And then at the very end of James, okay, so he begins James with the word of truth. He ends James in 519 with the statement that basically, my brethren, if anyone strays from the truth, and what he's doing is identifying the truth with the gospel. It's a synonym for the gospel. That's what he's saying. If you're lying or straying from the truth, and the word of truth there in 118 is the gospels, therefore the gospel is the only way you can be forgiven. Correct? The gospel is the only way you can be made right with God. The gospel is the message of what Jesus Christ, God incarnate, who became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, he had no sin of his own, ascended into heaven, and is the only way of salvation to put your life in his hands he covers you in his righteousness it's the only way to be saved you start messing james is talking about here the truth lying against the truth you're going to find yourself a non-christian you're going to find yourself in that particular basis and that james is saying if a person claims to belong to god and have the wisdom of god but their life is motivated and characterized by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy he's simply lying against the truth Whatever he might claim, he is not saved. He's living a lie. In fact, John 8, 44 tells us about lies. The devil is a liar and the father of what? Lies. And in Revelation 21, verse 8, reminds us of the kind of people who spend eternity in hell and concludes with, are you ready? And all liars. <laughs> and it says, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Human wisdom is deceptive. It lies against the truth. Thirdly, earthly. The word earthly means of earth. It means horizontally, uh, this perspective. It's limiting everything to this time, this place. And earthly wisdom, again, is the lie of evolution, the lie of there are many ways to God, the lie of no distinction between the sexes. Uh, it's even the lie of a faith that doesn't obey God's word. In other words, people who live by the thinking of this world over the truth of God's word. That's the lie. That's, that's the earthliness. 
People who are thinking of this world over God's word are filled with earthly wisdom and human reason is viewed as above God's revelation. Number four, natural. What happens when that's man's wisdom? You become natural. You go, I want to be natural. No, you don't. Okay, uh, that's where we get our English word psych and it actually applies to self. And he's talking about basically elevating natural would be your thoughts, your interests, your pursuits. You go, what I believe... Listen, anytime you say, when I believe, and it's contrary to the Scripture, it's human wisdom. It's wrong. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what I believe. Listen, it really, really, really doesn't matter what I believe. All that matters is what God revealed in His Word. Are you getting that? All that matters. And understand, natural wisdom... It's those who rely on this are Jude 19, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. All their feelings, desires, appetites, standards, and impulses are grounded in a humanistic view. Humanistic means basically human over God. The number one goal of natural wisdom is to justify your sinfulness. Uh, There's no problem. You're rewriting the gospel. It's all justified. Natural wisdom blames your parents, your race, your environment, your glands, your genetic makeup, your culture, your circumstances for your sin. It's the way I am. It's the way I was made. Naturally, it's not my fault. But natural wisdom values what people say over what God says. Whatever science says, whatever psychologists say, whatever scholars write, whatever the news media mentions, especially those trusted institutions like Instagram and Facebook... All of that is more important, more influential than what God records in His Word. That's human wisdom. That becomes your focus, not God's Word. That becomes your lens, not God's Word. You think that's accurate, not God's Word. To the world's experts, biblical Christianity, you know what it is? The world's experts. It's a relic of a superstitious pre-scientific past that relies on fantasy to explain what has not yet been discovered by man's own efforts. That's Christianity. That's how they view us. And therefore, natural wisdom is why wisdom from below is also, number five, demonic. Demonic. You say, is that what he really means? Yeah, that's what he means. It's from Satan himself who works through his demonic fallen angels who rebelled with him against God in ages past. Satan always promises wisdom when he tempts. He always promises wisdom when he tempts. He asserts, basically, God's word should be doubted. And whatever Satan says, or whatever this expert says, or whatever his demons say, that should be trusted. That's exactly what he said to Eve. He said, you don't need to believe God. You just believe what I'm saying, that you're going to be wise if you eat of the fruit. The very first temptation. Do you realize the very first reference of wisdom in the Bible is actually, is actually here in Genesis chapter 3, when, and basically when... Uh, Satan directed her attention to the forbidden fruit and let her dwell on the fact that it was Genesis 3, 6, the tree was desirable to make one wise. That's the first reference of wisdom in the Bible. And Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 that the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We are saturated with the doctrines of demons today. It is demonic. Wisdom from below is nothing more than deceitful efforts of demons. Appealing to men's sinful inclination, this wisdom deceives your family, your friends. You say, why, why are my family and friends? Why don't they get it? Well, because they're believing Satan's lies rather than God's truth. What they believe to be their own wisdom is really the devil's. And you know where we're at right now as a society, right? 
uh, only on the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the redeemed Christians are currently protecting this world, according to the Scripture, from a coming satanic and animalistic existence. But listen, the moment that we're removed from earth, when both are removed at the rapture, Satan and his minions will literally cause all health to break loose on this planet. That's the only thing holding back the tribulation. So you see, in the heart of the unwise, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, verse 14, that person is arrogant, dishonest, worldly, natural, demonic in character. And what's the end result of that? Number three in your outline, the conduct of false wisdom. The conduct, the core, the character, and now the conduct. How does it behave? How does it live itself out? In the wake of earthly wisdom, what you see are waves of chaos. When people begin to live this way, this is why our society is crumbling. Confusion, disharmony, antagonism, pettiness, which is what James says in verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is what? Disorder and every evil thing. Have we not seen that lived out? Understand, James reiterates the two heart motives, driving false wisdom. What are they? Jealousy and selfish ambition. Then he says, whenever they exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now, both disorder and every evil thing are broad terms, including things like anger, bitterness, resentment, lawsuits, divorce, debt, porn, addiction to porn, conflict, criticism, trust, Uh, Lack of trust, lack of intimacy, lack of love, lack of fellowship and harmony. Disorder actually means you can put in your Bible there, instability. Instability. Describing a state of confusion, disturbance, and rebellion. Evil actually means worthless. And it can mean contemptible. And evil is used in the New Testament to contrast the works of those who are saved and obedient to the works of those who are unsaved and disobedient evil every evil thing when he says thing there that's actually where we get our word english word pragmatic pragmatic Uh, thing is translated work deed event occurrence and what he's saying is there's absolutely nothing of any ultimate good that's worked out when human wisdom is applied Uh, i've been in ministry now i've been saved for you know i don't know a long time but i've been in ministry almost 42 years And I've watched the church adopt human wisdom on multiple fronts. And every single one of those movements has now crumbled and destroyed itself. Man, everybody was excited about it. Man, everybody wanted to get on board. And it was human wisdom. It wasn't what the Bible said. It was human wisdom. And as they applied it, it crumbled and fell apart. And it's a disaster. Sometimes it takes a decade, even 20 years, for that to be manifested but eventually it'll be manifested. We, we need to do things God's way. Worldly wisdom produces trouble. And coming in chapter 4, he's going to tell us that it's the source of causing fighting among believers. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is divine wisdom, God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom. And that's shown from wisdom above. And you get that kind of wisdom. It's found in verses 17 and 18. And in order for you to get it, you've got to come back next time. So... Sadly, you're going to have to hang on, all right? But understand, let me tell you about that wisdom just in a heartbeat. Verses 17 and 18 are, no joke, the key to relationship. They are the key to an incredible marriage. 
they are the key to amazing friendships. And when we get there, you'll see it, you'll taste it, you'll know it. It's amazing. False wisdom always produces wrong living. Wrong living. And one reason the world is such a mess is because men have refused to accept the wisdom of God. And one reason why you could be a mess, your marriage, your finances, your family, your parenting, is the refusal to embrace God's wisdom over your own thinking. Over your own thinking. So let's take this truth from part one home, if you would. Let's embrace the bees of godly wisdom. The bees of godly wisdom. Are you ready? Letter A comes from a born-again heart. Uh, a born-again heart. God's wisdom comes from a born-again heart. James starts this passage with exposing the heart. If the heart is filled with jealousy and selfish ambition, you understand that there's going to be no heavenly wisdom because the heart first needs to be transformed by God in order for them to be made a new person. You can't do this on your own. We're not capable of this. We think we are, but we're not. And not only comes as you surrender your life to Christ, maybe you haven't met too many born-again Christians and you're here this morning. Understand, when a person is truly saved, they not only are made right with God, but they are also internally made new. They're given a new heart. And that new heart is empowered to follow God's Word and motivated to follow God's Word. You want His wisdom. Only the new heart can manifest God's wisdom. So today, ask the Lord to give you a new heart. You may be here visiting. Understand, you may be, have been here for a long time. But today, ask Him, when it does happen, when He gives you a new heart, what will happen? He will change the direction of your life because you'll begin to flee sin and pursue Him from sin to God in repentance, and you will change your dependence from you, depending on you and other people, to Christ alone by faith. And only God can pull that off. Only God can do that. You need Him. None of us here are going to be wise without Christ. We sang that song earlier, right? It's not me, but Christ in me. It's Christ through me. Let her be. God's wisdom comes to a Bible-saturated doer of the Word who prays about everything. A Bible-saturated doer of the Word who prays about everything. The most important thing you can do as a Christian is to measure your life and ministry by the Word of God and not the wisdom of men. Am I living according to the Word of God? That means you study God's Word. You seek to see everything that life through the lens of God's Word. You seek to be dependently living the Word in all you do. The happiest, most content, most peaceful believers are those who pursue God's wisdom. But God's wisdom doesn't just happen. It is a treasure that has to be dug for. It is a treasure that needs to be sought, a truth applied. Are you seeking it? Listen, guys, you're going, maybe I'm not the husband I should be. Then you need to say, what does God's word say to husbands? And you start doing that in dependence upon the Spirit. You rely on Him and you step out. You say, well, it doesn't feel right. Listen, do what's right until it feels right. Okay, don't wait for your emotions. Just do what's right until it feels right. And just depend on Him and say, Lord, manifest me being this ultimate husband that's not even in me, but I want to do what you want me to do. I'm such a creep. I make her sad all the time. I'll make change me. Wives, to be that ultimate wife, 
you're going to have to do things according to the Scripture. Godly wisdom only comes. And you're going, well, I'm not living that out. Well, then start living it out. You say, I don't feel like it. Don't wait for your feelings. Do what's right until it feels right. Obey the Scripture in dependence upon the Spirit of God and step out. Parents, it's a mess. They're not obeying. Little Jimmy's running the household and he's only two. He eats what he wants. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Read the Scriptures. There's quite a few things that talk about getting the message through to your kids. And start doing things God's way and watch the wisdom be manifested in the life of your children. Order will come to your home. You go, well, I don't feel like it. It's uncomfortable. And Jimmy's so sad all the time. He'll get over it. They're resilient. They come out happier after you deal with them. Understand, we need to live by God's Word. Letter C, God's wisdom comes to a brave Christian who desires to reject earthly wisdom. You have to determine to reject all forms of earthly wisdom. You have to reject the world's view of creation called evolution. You have to reject the world's view of the roles of men and women. You have to reject the view of many ways to God. You have to reject the view that science is never wrong. You have to reject the view that sex outside of marriage is okay. You have to reject the view that marriage is for, um, you know, basically a man and a woman. You have to, reject, you have to accept that the fact that marriage is made for a husband and a wife. Are you getting the difference? Understand in doing so, you'll be mocked, you'll be rejected, you'll be belittled, but you must be brave and develop convictions that God's Word is correct and every contrary view is wrong. And then, letter D, God's wisdom comes to a B believer who desires God's best over what they want. Hey, let me give you something that's a clue to our elders. Godly elders only want what Christ wants over what they want for His church. Are you getting it? What makes them unique is they want what Christ wants for His church, not what they want. That's what, they, that's what makes them godly. Listen, a godly believer wants what God wants for their lives, for their families, for their marriage, for their children, over what they want or prefer or have determined. God's ways are the best ways are you pursuing godly wisdom? Let's pray. Father, we pray that this morning that you would begin to work in our hearts. And Father, again, there might be that one or two who don't know you. We know there's always tears in our midst. And so we pray, Father, that you would work in their heart, crack their heart open, give them a soft heart that they could respond in repentance and faith and be born again and have a new life. Father, there are many people in our community who are religious, who've prayed prayers, walked aisles, but they are not born again. And Father, we would pray that you would begin to awaken them to their need to be broken under their sin and to live life only your way, not their way. And for the rest of us, may we pursue your wisdom in all our relationships, in our workplace, and in, in, in our schooling, and in our homes, and in our marriages, and in our families. And in our church, we would constantly be asking, what, what do you say? What do you want over what we want? And Father, begin to order our lives under your word. And we'll trust you for that. We'll give you the glory for that. And we'll thank you for working in our midst in that manner. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.